episode 43. I'm Jules. And I'm Cece. Welcome to our show. Yeah, welcome. It's Monday. It is Monday. We took some time off of work to put some work into our podcast. We're working while we're not working. Are you really not working, though? Um, You know, I'm probably going to have to work a little bit, but not a lot. How about you? Me too. Me too. I did a couple hours of work this morning, which I told myself was just running errands, but that was a lie to myself. I am sick. Yeah. Sick in the head. Can't stop working. No, I'm trying. Doing lots of organizational things around the house. The doc is off at a conference for the next few days, so I'm ripping shit up. Yeah, you get, like, some alone time, which is cool. I mean, like, we love the doc, too. Don't get me wrong, doc. But I know that that's kind of fun, too, to get some alone time. Well, it's not really alone time. It's me and Lucy. Me and Lucy are ripping shit up together. Like, we seriously got up, or I, okay, me and the doc got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Four Ew. o'clock in the morning, which felt like three o'clock in the morning because yeah, because daylight, daylight savings. savings. And then I took him to the airport, and then I found the only place that was open with coffee, Duncan. And by that point, I got home and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to go to sleep." So I woke up Lucy and I was like, "Hey, do you want to go do a Walmart run? Because I have like." I hate going to Walmart, but I will do it like super early in the morning. So we did yeah, that. Walmart's the worst. We did so much stuff. And then we went to a place and got a bunch of flowers. And now we got so much done yesterday. Awesome. So that's what I'm doing. How about you? I didn't do that much. I got up at the last second possible this morning to take my kid to school. You and this piece of shit. Yeah, I I'm haven't kidding. showered. I have no makeup on. I'm wearing sweatpants. <laughs> And I finished my research for this podcast just this morning. Good for you. Yeah, so it's not like I did nothing, but I did the least amount of work possible. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what are what what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to get into a doozy. It might be one episode, might be two. Not sure yet, but it's going to be a doozer. It is a doozer. I'm. You could have, I could have gotten deeper into, but whatever. It is what it is. This is what I had time for. And we're going to talk today about H.H. Holmes. What do you you know about H.H. Holmes? Well, I know that he is a grotesque. He did a lot of really bad things. Like, what kind of bad things do you think that he did? Because I'm just curious. Um, I think he did some weird things at a hotel and oh boy like this one gets really mumble jumbled in my head because of American Horror Story oh yeah yeah because they totally like took some elements from it and also I've heard the story multiple times but I think he went around pretending to be some things that he probably wasn't he would earn trust of people didn't he like have a hotel and would kill people and then like throw them down a chute or something that's what they say but i'm probably gonna change the narrative in your head today oh no didn't he also go to the world's fair in chicago yeah that's where said murder hotel was located and created for like lizzie borden went there too oh she did yeah, she went to the World's Fair in Chicago. And so sometimes people like to make um, fan fiction about the two of them hooking up. Oh, I mean, really you probably would have got down with that. Also a rap song about it. It's really weird. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is really cool wow. if you made that. I'm not making fun of you a lot. It's cool. I, I am. Okay, well, let's let's learn a little bit about H.H., Yes. All right. H.H. wasn't really H.H. Holmes. That's one of the first things to know. His name. What was his name? His name is Herman Webster Mudgett. Okay. I'm sorry if her last name is Mudgett for more than one reason. Yeah. I 
don't feel like making fun of people's names on air is a good idea. But also, no. I just wasn't expecting Mudget. Yeah. Like, where did HH come from? I'll tell you later. But okay, I feel like you're going to question me so much. See, here's the thing. When, when we get into these, I when I'm researching, I'm like, God, Jules is going to ask me about this thing. <laughs> And I'm like, if I have time for a side quest, I will do it right now. But I didn't have time for side quests here. So there's going to be so many fucking questions that you're going to ask me that I'm going to be like, I don't know. Okay. So just buckle up. I'm going to do my best here. I will just act like I am not curious at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Then you won't talk at all. We need you to talk still. But okay. Here's the deal. Oh, I can't stop talking. It's fine. Yeah. Mr. Mudget. (laughs) He was born. On the 16th of May in the year of our Lord, 1861, in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. New Hampshire? Yeah. He had had a couple of parents. They were normal people. You might hear different things about them, but let's just talk about what we do know about them. So his parents were apparently descended from the first English immigrants in the area. Families have been around for a long time. I just kind of like in Lizzie Borden's. Okay, so maybe they have some things in common. I'm just kidding. I didn't know maybe it. Maybe there could be a love connection. But anyway, so, and we could write a rap song about it. Okay, so he had, yeah. he was a middle child of five. So he had an older oh, sister named Ellen, an older brother named Anthony. He's the third right in the middle. And then he has a younger sister named Mary and another younger brother named Henry. His dad. Did he steal Henry's name? Um, no, I I don't think so. I don't know. Why I can't remember what the H stood for yet, but I'll find it when we get there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. So he was like really jealous of baby Henry all the time. Probably it's like I'm gonna just take this one. <laughs> His dad had come from a farming family, but had worked various jobs throughout the time that HH was growing up. He worked as a farmer a trader or not a trader a tradesman i definitely wrote the word trader here but i know it was tradesman and a house <laughs> he was a, a trader. Yeah. he was he was doing things there's some places where i read that they were somewhat wealthy but i'm not 100 sure on that because there's just a lot of lies around this whole case and they were devout methodists and in some places if you want to know things about hh holmes childhood you're going to read in a lot of places or here in a lot of places that his dad was abusive and that he tortured animals like we hear about serial killers all the time but there's no actual proof of any of like of any of that but really he just gave tickle fights and they had fun <laughs> yeah probably it was a glorious okay. childhood um <laughs> I guess he was like a mediocre student, but he did show signs of being very intelligent as he was growing up. He had to be smart to pull off all the shit. Yeah, honestly, he did have to be smart. And he did some things that were real that you have to be smart for. So so at the age of 17, this is in 1878, he marries a girl named Clara Lovering. Lovering, lovering. I don't know how to say it, but her name's Clara. They have a son together named Robert Lovering Mudgett in 1880. And he went on to become that guy, just so you know, like the son. There was just like a side note. That, that guy. guy, the son, way in the future, he went on to be an accountant and then a city manager in Orlando, Florida. That's it. Like he just, was yeah, just accountant. so you know, he didn't grow up to be a murderer. Okay. So. Back to his dad, old HH, 18 years old. He enrolls in the University of Vermont at Burlington. And he sticks it out for a year, but he just isn't a fan of this college. He's like, nah, I don't fucking want to do this. And you'd think maybe, maybe this guy is like, I'm going to drop out of college. But no, he didn't. Instead, he decides that he's going to apply for and get accepted into the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery. And he starts this in 1882, so med school. Okay, but why did you say the part about how he didn't like it or something? He didn't like the other college he went to. 
Oh, so he's like, I'm going to try a harder college and see if that's better? Yeah, maybe. I don't know what he was going for the first time, but yeah, he was like, I'm going to go and be a doctor. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So while he's there, he does well, and he works in the anatomy lab with the chief anatomy instructor named James Herdman. Mm. And apparently together with this chief instructor... He starts robbing graves. Of he takes course the bodies he and he sells them as medical cadavers. That was like a thing. People did that a lot. Yeah. They were body snatchers. So maybe as a college professor, you don't make a ton of money or whatever. <laughs> and so good old James, his instructor is like, let's just rob some graves together. True story. You don't always yeah. make a lot of money being a college professor. Yeah, and you know what else you can use these cadavers for? What? Defrauding life insurance companies. Oh, what I was about to say was so much worse than that. Can you just say it? I was going to say necrophilia. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he was fucking any dead bodies, dude. Okay. No. He, just was, he was just trying to get money. So, um, and that's my that's kind of telling of like where we're going to go with this and and some things he just is pretending that there are people that he knew that died so he can get money also during this time yeah clara is in michigan with him too at this time and there are accounts from housemates that they had at the time that he was violent toward her while they lived in michigan and so early in 1884 just before he was about to graduate because apparently medical school is only two years that's all you need you're just like, two years. You need like two months. Wasn't that there was somebody else that that we did a show on that graduated from medical school? I think it was that the crazy one that was working with the Nazis. Didn't he oh. go to medical school for like a minute? And he's like, yeah, well, I guess you didn't have to go for very long. You just have to have the will and the drive to cut people open and stuff. So you just have this that's like it. 20 year old. That's just suddenly your doctor. Mm-hmm. He's doogie. Yeah. Crazy. All right, so that's the other age. It's Hauser, like Doogie Hauser. Yeah, Hauser's. one of them. Like I don't Doogie know, Hauser. but anyway, okay. Doogie Hauser. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Clara's out. She moves back to New Hampshire and doesn't keep in contact with him. She said later in the future that she knew little of him. After what do you mean that. she's out? She just, she just took off with her kid. She's like, "Fuck you." You're a dick. I'm leaving. That was that's pretty hard to happen back then. To I know, just, like walk out. That was like not even that was before the 1900s. I know, but maybe if they were both from, I don't know a lot about her financial situation. If she was from like wealthier parents, maybe that weren't assholes. Okay. Maybe she was just like, oh, I'm gonna go back to my parents. All right, and do this. He he successfully graduates in June of 1884. And there's some speculation here that he had had apprenticed in New Hampshire after this under a guy named Nahum White, who did a lot of human dissection. But I'm not 100% sure when that was. I do know, though, that he moved after graduation to Moore's Forks, New York. I tried to look for a pronunciation. Okay, so it's spelled M-O-O-E-R-S Forks, New York. Oh, I tried to look for a pronunciation of this. The regular one that I found on Google was, I couldn't even fucking understand what it was trying to say. Is it Morris Forks? Um, It's like when I listened to the first recording, it was like Morris, Morris, Morris. Like it was just, (laughs) I couldn't even hear what it was trying to say right. And then I went on YouTube to try to find a pronunciation because sometimes there's ones. And there was this like techno song that was like, like, and it was saying it over and over again. But like in a, it, it was like electronic, like electronica song about how it was the best place to live. It was really weird. And I laughed a lot and I came away not knowing how to say that. So. I apologize for the pronunciation. We're going to go with Moore's Forks. It's the best place to live. Anyway, it's the best place to live. <laughs> it's the best place to live. 
So he's having a great time having techno dance parties in Moore's Forks. And while he's there, people are seeing him with a little boy a lot of the time. Hmm. But I don't think this is son or anything. One day, the boy just disappears. Of course he's not he there anymore. And people are like, where's your little friend? And he's like, oh, he went back home to Massachusetts. Where's your little friend? Yeah. He's like, they went back to Massachusetts. And then he just like skips town shortly thereafter with no explanation of where the kid was or maybe, who he was. Maybe he did. Like, maybe that was true. Maybe his little, maybe it was a friend and he probably not. Okay. Yeah, he has like a weird thing with traveling with children for some reason that was kind of confusing to me. But well, I I don't think it was sexual. I don't know what it was. But anyway, he goes to Philly next and he gets a job as a keeper at Norristown State Hospital. But he's not digging it and he quits after just a few days instead getting a job at a drugstore instead. So while he's working in this drugstore, a little boy ends up dying after taking medicine purchased at the store. Ah. Yeah. And HH is like, I, I don't have, I didn't have any involvement in that. I didn't do any of this, but he leaves Philadelphia right away afterward. But Ah. right before moving, he did steal his brother's name. Okay. He changes his name. To Henry Howard Holmes. He did steal his brother. He coveted his brother's name. Yeah, he did. I think that he has family ties because he, like, there's some name stuff later where I'm like, oh, you do love your family? Even though you're a piece of garbage? Maybe. I don't think he loves his family. He was either jealous of his little brother or liked him, but changes his name to Henry Howard Holmes and he's trying to avoid some trouble that he might be in due to some of the past scamming because he's like as we talk about this man and his travels and wherever he is it seems to me that he's just like even if he lives somewhere he's traveling around and he's scamming people wherever he possibly can why don't smart scammer people just put all their smarts towards honest things because it takes a lot I don't of work know. to be a scammer. It does. I think that there's something like inside of your brain that makes you like that, where you love to lie and see what you can get away with. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That is what it is. But he moves to Chicago. And while in Chicago, he comes across another drugstore. And of course, he has experience working at a drugstore and he, you know, is a doctor. So. Mm-hmm. He finds Elizabeth S. Holton's drugstore at the northeast corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd in the Englewood neighborhood in Chicago. And he gets a job there. He works super hard and eventually buys the store from the Holtons. Oh. Elizabeth, who was the owner, her husband was actually also a Michigan alumni. And so, or a Michigan alumnus. And so there's, you're going to hear... When you listen to the story at other places, I heard that this is this old couple and that the husband suddenly disappeared and they thought that he murdered him and all those kinds of things. But that's not true. So not. Elizabeth Holton's husband is just a couple years older than him. Oh, that's They're very different. close in age. And they didn't die or disappear. They remained in Englewood for at least as long as Holmes did um, and definitely outlived him well into the 1900s. So, yeah, definitely not dead at that time. They're dead now, I hope. (laughs) I hope so, too. In the nicest way possible, they'd be very old and probably scary to look at. So, (laughs) Oh, no. You are 150 years old. (laughs) Yes, we don't need that. We're going to move forward here to late 1886. So remember, he's still married to Clara legally. Oh, yeah. He travels to Minneapolis at some point, and he meets this woman named Myrta Belknap. And he's like, let's get married, girl. He's still married to Clara. And she's like, so 
Yeah, so two weeks after he gets married to this new lady, he goes and he files for divorce from Clara because he because she is adulterous. He's like he claims like infidelity on her part. Not his, even what? though he's married to a different person already, but like she's an adulterer. Uh, the thing is, though, that Clara never even received the paperwork as far as anybody can tell. And so the divorce was never finalized. So he's oh. married to Clara. He's married to Marta. And in 1887, he ends up purchasing an empty lot across from the drugstore that he owned at this time. And he begins constructing a two-story building. The first floor... The first floor has shops, including a new drugstore, and the second floor is apartments. And the way that he did this was he he got contractors and suppliers, and he basically did this all on credit, right? Because you don't have, like, you're not running a credit check at this point in time. Okay. So people just kind of have to trust you that you're going to pay. And so he just tells all these people that are working on the building that he's going to pay them when the work's done like he normally would but he's not doing it and so in 1888 he's telling like the architect the steel company like i'm not going to pay you and they try to sue him and i don't know if he paid anything or not because i couldn't find that but they're starting to kind of catch on so he just keeps getting other people to work on stuff but the building's done and holmes and murda at this point end up having a daughter in 1889 she's born in Englewood um, and her name is Lucy Theodate Holmes which is his mother's name Theodate Theodate yeah okay it's a real weird name but sorry if that's your name <laughs> it's and fun fact about her she later became a teacher she became a teacher later so this family so his daughter and his wife are living in Wilmette, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. And he doesn't really live at, like he lives there with them, but he doesn't really, he mostly just stays in Chicago in this apartment building that he, that he created. So just saying like, are there other apartments in there or just? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's like a bunch of apartments and then shops on the main floor, including his drugstore. Okay. Things are going on. You know, he's running business, doing his drugstore, just like he normally would. And we've already had some of the things with creditors coming after him. And then there's another one of his creditors that's in the drugstore, probably talking to him about debts unpaid. And he dies of apoplexy, which is unconsciousness or incapacity resulting from a cerebral hemorrhage or stroke. Yeah, I knew that. So this happens in 1891 while the guy is literally in his drugstore. I'm just kidding. Just I drops dead. I didn't know what the fuck that was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what that was either. And that's like, a did you believe me though? Like how I said it very confidently. Um, I did. I did believe you. Proceed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like waiting for something else to happen, and it wasn't. No. So, nothing else. The same I just year that you. one of the creditors drops dead, he meets a mistress named Julia Smythe or Smith. It's like S M Y T H E. I could look it up. Smythe. Okay. I was like, maybe it's just a cooler way to say Smith. No, it's not. But it's whatever. Smythe. Okay. So, she is the wife of Ned Connor, who lived in the building and worked at the pharmacy's jewelry counter. So, her husband works for him. And Ned finds out about the affair pretty quickly. Hey, and he is takes HH off. like is HH good looking or Yeah, according to those standards. When I look at pictures of them, I'm like, oh, but I think it was like super cool to have a giant mustache. So. Oh yeah. I'm gonna look Yeah, so he, I mean like he's he's got money, right? Like this guy has money, he can dress nice, he can you know, like he gets around, he looks good, women like him. I'm gonna look up a picture of him. Let's okay. see if he is hottie. Okay, you look you it up look. and tell me what you think. Okay. You can keep talking, though. Okay. So, Ned finds out, and he's like, I'm out. 
I'm going to leave Julia and their six-year-old daughter, Pearl, behind. No. Julia remains in the apartment building. You don't think he's attractive? No. All right. Well, these ladies did. Yeah. There's a few of them that are going to come. Oh, no. He was not worth the trouble. Yeah. Julia remained in the apartment in the building and continued her affair with Holmes, even though he's, like I said, got a wife back in a different town. Yeah. And she ends up getting pregnant. Oh, no. And and I heard in some places that he's like, listen, you just got pregnant. I'm going to marry you. But... I'm only going to do it if you let me perform an abortion on you first. And so he she needs was to like, okay. stop impregnating people. Yeah, he needs to stop a lot of things. So he tries to perform the abortion and accidentally kills her. And how about you put a rubber yeah. band around your testicles and wait until they fall off? I know, right? That's what he should have done. But it only gets worse. Ugh. At this point, he's like, I got to cover this shit up. Because I just accidentally killed this person it, performing it's an abortion. It's somebody else's wife. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know that that guy cared about his wife at this point, but. Well. Yeah. Enough that he didn't want her killed. I would assume. Probably not. He probably also didn't want his six-year-old daughter killed to hide the fact that her mother was dead. But he did that. He poisoned oh the six-year-old. Oh, my God. Later on down the road, a partial skeleton believed to be Pearl because it was a tiny little person. Uh-huh. They they found partial skeleton of an approximately six-year-old girl that they believe was her in the basement of the building. But, yeah, getting back to this, she's gone. You know, that's that. Uh-huh. And in 1892, he decides that he's going to add a third floor to this building and he tells investors and suppliers that he plans to use it as a hotel with the World's Fair that's coming to Chicago. It's important to note that this hotel portion of it, it was under construction. It wasn't ever fully completed. Hotel guests were never lodged here. And in many places, including like everywhere I listened to this before today, I heard that it's like this whole it's a murder hotel. People call it the murder hotel all the time. And they say that it was constructed to lure in tourists yeah. so that he could torture and murder them and then eventually sell their skeletons to medical schools. And there's no actual evidence of this having occurred. So he didn't actually build the murder hotel for the World's Fair to like take people in. The newspapers were claiming that there were secret torture chambers and trapdoors yeah. and gas chambers and a crematorium in the basement. None of those things actually existed at all. It That's was just made, disappointing. Like, I mean, not yeah, disappointing, they were saying, but yeah, it's ridiculous. Like they said that the hotel was made up over one hundred of over one hundred rooms. It was laid out like a maze with doors opening into brick yeah. walls and windowless rooms and staircases to nowhere. Yeah. But they're really just like they're probably just getting it confused with the Winchester Mystery House or something. Well. American Horror Story kind of made it seem like that. Yeah, but that's, I mean, it's that's American Horror Story. Also, Lady Gaga. But the Gaga newspapers were reporting really it. She did? Yeah, good. she's a really good actress. Yeah. She is a good actress. She really is. So it did have some hidden rooms in it, though, but they were put there to hide furniture and other things that he bought on credit that he didn't intend to pay for. So if they tried to come and say, like, we're taking our stuff back that you purchased on credit because you didn't pay for it. He could just say that it wasn't there. Okay. So he's just That's a lot stuff. different than having a torture, a torture chamber and whatnot. Yeah. 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 So while the third floor construction is going on, he starts another affair with a woman who works in the building. And her name is Emmeline Sigrande. Holy I think, or Sigrand. It's yeah. probably Grandy. So. Yeah, something like that. So they meet in May, and by December, she's missing. Uh, there's speculation that she also got pregnant by Holmes and was a victim of another failed abortion, but there's no real proof of that. Why are they another calling man, these failed abortions? He's probably just, like, stabby-stabbing them. them. Like, it's yeah, like, I'm like going to abort the baby. I'm going to stab you in your heart. Like, I... I really don't think Here's that he was aborting these babies. You. I think that he was literally just 
like, oh, I got another one pregnant. Just kill that one. Yeah, probably. And then he probably sold their cadavers. Right. Yeah. Around this time, too, so 1892, a man named Dr. Roussier was, he had an office in the building that he rented out from him, and he goes missing. And then the same year, a woman named Kitty Kelly, who was a stenographer for Holmes, also goes missing. Yeah. Her name is Kitty Kelly. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like it. There's another one, too, that they mention here. Her name was Emily Van Tassel, and I'm not sure Ooh. when she worked there, but she also did disappear at some point. Um, in I this. want my name to be yeah. Van Castle. Oh, Van Tassel. Oh, I thought it was Van Castle. So, sorry, your name isn't as cool. I'm going to change my name to Van Castle. Okay. Jules Van Castle. Yep, that's right. Again, I don't know the dates of this, and I'm sure it's somewhere, but at some other point in this whole period of time where he is like swindling contractors and building his fake murder castle and all these things, he meets this dude named Benjamin Peitzel. And I guess that for a period of time, he was working in the chemical bank building on Dearborn Street in Chicago. What's a chemical and, bank? Um, I don't really know, but I've heard of it before. I'll look. Let me do a quick Google search. Chemical bank building. Or you do a quick search. Um. Oh, it merged with Chase Manhattan Bank. It's like a skyscraper in Chicago. I think it's not a sperm bank. No, it's not a sperm bank. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know for sure, but it's a. It was a building that the bank owned in Chicago at that time. I don't know if it was a skyscraper. I know nothing, but it's on Dearborn Street. It probably exists still. Ben Peitzel had invented a coal bin and was exhibiting there and he ended up meeting hh while there he also was a carpenter i hear that he also had a drinking problem and had a hard time holding down a job during this time he had a wife and five kids he loved them very much um even though he did have a hard time taking care of them he was actually like a decent looking man i think when i looked up a picture of him um he looked kind of fancy too so or maybe HH helped him look fancy. Not sure. But they He's became like, the, the best of friends. Juice. Yeah. They became really good friends. They were like family. I guess HH would hang out with him and his kids and his wife sometimes. And <laughs> oh Ben God. was really his right-hand man with all these swindling and bad things that he was doing. So he's like cool hanging out with somebody else's kids. But just like mm-hmm. kills all of his. Except for that one. Yeah. With Clara. Well, he kills or abandons them, all these things. So just keep in mind, like, throughout (laughs) all of this stuff, all of these things that I'm talking about. Hang on. What? I just, like, I tried to hold in a cough, and I went, (laughs) and then it made me giggle a lot. So just hang on while I recompose. This is only going to be one episode, by the way. Okay. I'm trying to compose myself here, but it was like, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Already ready? While all this is going on, keep in mind that he is like continuing to scam people and swindle them. He travels around the country to different places as well doing these things. I think he must just like go on these little baby trips. To mm-hmm. fuck people over and then disappear back to, back to Chicago because there's no electronic trails. In 19 or in 1893, not in 19, so 1893, he meets another lady and she had been an actress at one point and her name was Minnie Williams. She had just moved to Chicago and she's in the employment office trying to find a job. And he's down there probably trying to find some people to work at his hotel because he keeps killing them on accident. Oops. And yeah. Um, there are some people that say that he had met her before in Boston years earlier, but it's I guess it's better documented that they met in Chicago at the employment office. And so he offers her a job in his building as his personal stenographer again because he killed the last one. And so an accident. So he he takes her in as his stenographer and he starts hooking up with her as well. And During this relationship, he's able to persuade her to transfer a deed from a property that she owns in Fort Worth, Texas, and she has him transfer it 
to a man named Alexander Bond. Bond. Bond is actually just another alias of Holmes. So <laughs> she like she transfers this over to him. I don't know if he like, said he was giving her something for it or if she was just like really liked him a lot and wanted him to have her property or what. Eventually, he takes this property and then he signs it over to Peitzel. So Ben Peitzel, his buddy under the alias of Benton T. Lyman. So he I like was how they a bad just come up with too. these fancy names with middle initials. Yeah, he was a bad guy because he was helping this guy out with everything. Yeah, that all happens. They've got this thing. But him and Minnie, they're they're doing what they do. And they end up renting a Lincoln Park apartment together a few months later, which Lincoln Park is a neighborhood in Chicago again. So um, just a, a different good idea one than Englewood. Yeah, they're living there. And her sister, I've seen it as Annie. I've seen it as Nanny as well. But. Her sister came and visited her just a couple of months later after they moved into this apartment. And after July of that year in 1893, nobody ever saw either sister again. The last anybody had ever heard was that the sister wrote home to tell family that Holmes was going to take them, uh, like like her and Minnie, on a trip through Europe. And that's the last anybody ever heard of them. They're gone. And so he's like, well, I am... I guess I'm half single again, except for my wife that I have that that. I'm married to, kind of married to because I'm married to two other wives. And in 1894, he goes to Denver, Colorado, and he meets a woman named Georgiana Yope, and he gets married to her. So I don't know if he was like still seeing Murda or not at this point, or if she just was off with their daughter doing her life, but... He he meets Georgiana Yoke in Denver, Colorado in 1894, and he gets married to her. And I think, you know, I think that he just loves love. He loves love? He loves love, and he just accidentally murders everybody that he's in love with, except for his wives. Probably because they'd accident. be too much of a paper trail. Yeah. Total accident. Yeah seems though that he doesn't murder anybody he's married to so that was probably the safest way to go about being involved with old hh 1894 he's married to georgiana but he also is facing some heat from insurance companies in chicago who are trying to prosecute him for arson because apparently he lit something on fire what did he light on fire not sure but he leaves chicago at this point because it's like he's got too much going on he's getting sued by creditors and liar yeah, because, I mean, at the core, that's all he is, is a fucking liar. So he leaves Chicago and he goes to Fort Worth to do some things with this property that he had swindled off of the Williams sisters. To Texas. And so down here, he, again, takes out some credit with suppliers and contractors that he has no intention of paying. And he starts to build another building. And if you're interested in where this is in Fort Worth so that it's at the intersection of Commerce Street and 2nd Street. I've never been to Fort Worth, so I don't know what that means, but just in case you are from there. By July of that year, though, he was arrested and jailed for a short time, for charged what? with selling mortgaged goods in Chicago, or in, in, not in Chicago, in St. Louis. You so said at some Chicago. point he'd been in St. Louis, and he's selling things that he hasn't paid for on credit yet, is what I'm thinking. In Chicago, but really in St. Louis. So um, so he's in this jail, and while he's there, he strikes up a conversation with an outlaw named Marion Hedgepeth, who was doing a 25-year stint in this jail. And I heard that this is like a – he's kind of a well-known criminal. So I'm thinking that H.H. was trying to impress this dude or something, but he ends up telling – Hedgepath that he has this plan to defraud an insurance company by taking out a $10,000 policy faking his own death. Uh-oh. And I was going to look up what $10,000 was, so I'm just going to look that up really quick here. So $10,000 in like back in that time period would be so that would have been about $350,000. Okay. That he was planning to get. Okay? That's it? 350000 Yeah, but he's doing this all left and right, you know? Yeah. He tells him that he's going to defraud this insurance company for what would be $350,000 now. He tells Hedgepen that if he gives him a, a name of a lawyer that he can trust in the area, that he'll send Hedgepen 500 bucks from his 
lawsuit. And so Hedge Pen is like, okay, cool. Here's my boy. His name is Jephthah Howe. And he gets he gets bailed out by, I think, probably from Ben or his wife or something right away. And he goes in, he visits Wait, Howe. which wife? The, uh, the last one, Georgiana. Okay. So Howe is in. He's like, yep, yeah, let's, let's do this thing. We're going to fuck some people over. So mm-hmm. he agrees to get involved. And so they go along with it and they they try to do this dead body situation and the insurance like they try to say that this dead body is hh holmes basically Uh and they're saying like i'm dead you know and the insurance company is like yeah we don't actually believe that this is the person that you say it is (laughs) so they refuse to pay and how and Holmes don't press the situation and so they're like okay we're gonna not we're not gonna do this one we're just gonna let it go Nobody's going to come after us because there's no electronic paper trail and people don't know who we are in different cities. He's like, we're going to do something like this, but we're going to use Ben, my best friend, instead. So he strikes up this plan with with Ben and with the attorney Howe, and they decide that they're going to, like, that Ben's going to fake his own death so that his wife can collect a $10,000 policy. And then when she collects it, she'll have to split it with Holmes and Howe. So they decide that this thing is going to happen in Philadelphia. And Peitzel's going to go there and set himself up and pretend to be an inventor by the name of B.F. Perry. Why And they're going to pretend. I don't. Well, because Ben is an inventor. So it'd be like an easy part for him to play because he invented that coal thing. The coal bucket or coal bin or whatever. So. I just love that they come up with these names and it's always like, like, can you, like, would it be fun if we like went around and I was like, my name is C E Alice instead of like saying my first name. Like you yeah. just, I don't, I don't know where I came up with the also, initial like, E for my fake name, but. A lot of people could be inventors because there was a lot of stuff that wasn't invented yet. True story. Right? That's probably like the way people got rich other than doing this shit. Like one time. The two times that I invented something, somebody else already invented it. Yeah, that happens. But I'll get you. Okay, so B.F. Perry, he is supposed to get killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. And disfigured. Yeah, so like this body. So basically what they're telling Peitzel is going to happen is that they're going to find a cadaver to play him. And so he's going to leave and they're going to place this cadaver in here and they're going to explode it in this lab. And then they're going to, you know, like use it to claim life insurance. They're going to be like, here's this dead body. Give me money or give your wife money. And then your Mm -hmm. wife's going to give us money. Instead of finding a cadaver to to play his best buddy Peitzel, he decides that he's going to chloroform him and then set his body on fire with benzene. Yeah. He just fucking kills his best friend. That's not what best so, friends do to each other. I know. Holm claims that Heitzel was still alive when he was set on fire. Oh, no. I guess. But when they actually look at everything and the circumstances, they found out that he was actually killed before the chloroform was used. So it's like he killed his friend and then he chloroform, like he put chloroform on his face and then set him on fire. Well, they said something. I don't really fully understand this, and maybe you will, because I'm just not smart enough or something. But they say that it was presumably to fake suicide to exonerate Holmes if he ended up being charged with murder <laughs> or something. I don't really know. Um, To fake suicide so that he would be exonerated of the murder. So in... <sighs> so they were saying that, like, First, his friend chloroform or killed himself, and then he chloroformed him afterward and blew him up. Why would he chloroform a dead body? Like he just thought he was sleeping. Well, he was trying to like still make it look like I don't. I don't really know. I'm very confused about the whole thing. Maybe he thought that he killed Ben, but he was like, "I'm not fully sure, so I'm just going to make sure he's knocked out to set him on fire." Oh, yeah. Because they are best friends after all. So I mean, it's always a good idea to set someone on fire if you're not sure if they're dead yet. Yeah, that's probably the Everyone best way to go about that. it, I guess. Everyone wow, that's knows that. Terrible. Okay. Anyway, he's able to get this going and 
Kleitzel's wife is able to collect this life insurance policy, which she only ends up with $500 of instead what? of the other way around. And the rest of the money gets sent to him. And so How? he does tell Kreitzel's wife that the plan is still going on. So she doesn't know that her husband is really dead. Oh, no. And, and he's like, listen, it would be best if you send your five kids to come and travel with no, me because we know we can't like no, stay put in Chicago no. anymore. There's some illness going on in the house and she ends up keeping their oldest daughter and their baby. But she ends up sending the three middle children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard, with homes. And, of course, he's, like, a family friend, so she's like, okay. And she trusts him, even though she knows. I mean, like, she's in on this whole thing, too. I'm sure she was probably like, what the fuck, dude? But I guess guess we're going to be rich now. So go with your murder uncle. And so I'm not really sure about the whole thing, like, why the kids had to be with him. Just... It I was think very he's strange got some, why so he decided to he's take got them. some weird something with kids. Yeah, Whether I'm or not, not it was really sure. Like why but else he takes he them? To... Yeah, like he takes children and he has to It's fucking weird. It is fucking weird. He's basically on the run with them, like not that anybody's particularly looking for him yet, but I think he's just kind of like, okay, we can't stay put in one area for very long because right. Of all these things I'm doing, it's probably starting to catch up with him a little bit. And so I think he did was doing other, like, scams, though, in the meantime, we realized later. He's traveling throughout the northern United States and in Canada with the kids. And he directs Mrs. Peitzel, like, they're, like, writing back and forth to each other. But he's actually, like, bringing her on a parallel route. He's using various aliases, and he's telling her to lie about her husband's death, of course. And I guess at one point, like, she, he was making it seem like they were, like, super far ahead and they were all going to meet somewhere with her husband at some point. Mm-hmm. And I guess at one point there was a time where they were literally nine blocks apart. Like, she was nine <gasps> blocks apart from her children. No. And wasn't able to see them. And then, like, he would rent homes out. And then I guess that there was at one point where, like, Georgiana's, like, traveling these things, too. So he's got, like, one house that he's rent with Georgiana, and then he's, like, keeping the kids in a different house. Wait, and so just, Georgiana like, didn't know that the kids I were there? I don't know what she knew. I don't know what she knew. I don't know if she was a piece of shit or what. She was a piece of shit. Probably. I just said that very confidently. I, I just feel like... Yeah, we don't... I don't know her story. I just feel like there's no I way... I probably could have found it, but... There's no way that she didn't know. Yeah. I don't know, but at some point he starts to get worried that the kids are going to tell on him, so he ends up killing them. Of course he does. And I'm not going to talk about how he killed them because it makes me sad, so if you want to know that, look into it. But eventually in Boston in November of 1894, the Pinkerton National Detective Agency finally tracks him down. And they are able to hold him on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas. <laughs> okay. So I guess he was stealing horses while he was down in Texas. So at this point, they did know that he was involved in the insurance scheme. But because, like, this is because the jail buddy that he was like, hey, dude, you want $500? He decided to bargain for his own release, like, use the information he got from H.H. Holmes and he was like, hey, guys, I'll tell you about this plan you have if you guys will let me go on my 25-year sentence. And they were like, okay, we'll deal. So this guy told them the whole plan. And so they weren't quite ready to hold him on the insurance stuff yet. They're still, like, getting evidence and investigating things. Mm-hmm. and they, But they were getting worried that he was about to flee the country with Georgiana. That's why they held him on this, like, horse theft thing. While they're investigating this and they're holding him, they end up finding the bodies of the two daughters of Ben, his best friend, in the the basement of one of the homes that they had stayed in. Uh, The third child was found, I think, in a different home that they were in, so he kind of, like, killed them separately. And at this point, this is when they decided to start investigating the building in Englewood. No evidence was ever found in the Englewood home, like, in that building that would have convicted him in Chicago. And so that's okay. one thing that people are that's like, the oh, murder they found castle. bodies everywhere and, yeah, and, like, chambers and things like that. Like, that's not true. They didn't actually find evidence except for Pearl's body. The trial for Ben's death eventually did start. They got enough stuff and they charged him with it. And so they started this trial in October of 1895. 
At what and point did the wife, did Ben's wife realize that he was not, not alive and that I think it was children were dead? I think it was during this. I've I heard about another podcast where I wasn't taking notes and in, in the stuff that I was like fully taking notes. I didn't see it. But I think I, my understanding is that she testified at his trial against him to get herself out of trouble. And okay. um, and I know that Julia, the woman that the first like the the failed abortion attempt, like her husband testified against him at the trial and like a bunch of people it was like a long drawn out thing is my understanding but I didn't take notes on it at that time so way to go they did go through this whole thing and of course it was blown up out of proportion in the press which is why we get all these murder castle things because mm-hmm. it came from crazy news reporting in the 1800s that we all know is just ridiculous at some points but he ends up getting convicted of Ben's murder they don't they don't convict him of the children or anything just Ben's murder what? at this point I don't know if they charged him with the children either, though. I think they were just like, let's take care of this one. And because of this, he was sentenced to death in 1896. Okay. He ended up being hanged in Philadelphia one week before his 35th birthday. And he, he was only calm. 35? Yeah. He remained calm. He didn't show any signs of fear or anxiety leading up to his death. And he did ask for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep. Because he didn't want grave robbers to take his body and dissect oh. it to study his fucked up brain. Because he is really? a doctor, so he's like, they're going to want to study my brain and see what's going on. So I guess when they when they did the hanging, that his neck didn't break. And he strangled to death slowly, twitching for over 15 minutes. Good. He was pronounced dead 20 minutes after this trap was sprung. And they buried him in an unmarked grave at Holy Cross Cemetery with the cement around him. Um and it was it's a catholic cemetery in the western philly suburb of yeadon or yeadon that makes me but, mad that they that they exercised a uh, judgment there you know mm-hmm. that they listened to his wishes that's bullshit they should have cut his brain out and dissected it along with every other thing yeah it's true so to witness it yeah. yeah, but let's talk about some of the lore around this guy in the first place and all yes, the things please. that we all kind of think. Like, if you watch any fucking show on this, I watched so many things and listened to so many podcasts, and it was like Murder Castle, Murder Castle, Murder Castle. Yeah. So people talk about him as America's first serial killer, and they'll say that there could be 200 victims of this guy. But in actuality, there's only nine that they can really be confident about. He did confess to 27 people that he murdered, but 20, like out of this 27 that he confessed to, some of them were still alive. And I'll get into that in a minute. But the 200 thing is something that people started to see because of a book called Gem in the Prairie by Herbert Asbury. Asbury. I need to look up how to say people's names when I do this research. Yeah, so Asbury, he wrote a book in 1940, and it had a line in it that said that some people suggested it had may have been up to 200 people. And so that's where that comes from. Like, nobody actually said that it was 200 people. It just became part of the legend. Uh, there's also, like I said before, like, no evidence that he trapped strangers inside of the hotel in an attempt to kill them because it wasn't a hotel. It wasn't. It wasn't a hotel. It was just a normal apartment building above some stores. <laughs> that then, is not like, some what fake I thought. rooms that he used. Yeah. It just goes down in history that way. He, so when we think about serial killers too, like when they talk about him as a serial killer, like, yeah, he did kill like a bunch of people. But when you think about serial killers, in my mind, I always think of them more as it's like a, like a psychological thing with people that don't have a lot of motive except for their own like sick perversion. Yeah. And I don't think that like this, like this is like, to me, seems like somebody that's trying to get as much money as possible. So it's not like a cycle. I mean, maybe there's psychological components, but he's generally just a fraudster who was so narcissistic that he would kill even his best friend to cover it up. That's kind of I it feels to me like like he wasn't getting 
satisfaction out of this. It was like a means to an end. Like I Yeah, have to it was do like this. all self-preservation at any cost. Yeah. Definitely some kind so, of sociopath to be able to Yeah, to have to do things like that or feel like you have to do things like that in order to move forward in life, but don't think that there's some kind of psychopathy behind it. No, there's really not. So let's talk about who he really did murder or who we think that he murdered at this okay. point. Nine of them. We talked about all these. So we had Julia, her six-year-old daughter, Pearls, two of them. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Emmeline Sagrande or Sagrand, Minnie and her sister. And then Ben Peitzel and his three kids. So that's it that we know for sure. The maybes are going to be like a couple of the people I mentioned earlier that disappeared from the building. And then there was also a guy named Henry Walker of Greensburg, Indiana, who went missing in 1893. He had told people like he'd written people back home that he had insured his life to homes for $20,000. And he wrote friends that he was working for homes. So I think that one's pretty that seems like like the ones I'm only going to mention are ones where I'm like, okay, this seems like it probably was him. Because if you if work some for the stranger or somebody you work with wants to insure your life, but they get the proceeds if you die. I mean, that's pretty fucked up in itself. It's really fucking weird. He must have been telling them something that they were going to get out of it for doing it. Like, it's just very like, don't ever let anybody insure your wife except for your spouse and right? only let your spouse insure your life if they're not seemingly crazy <laughs> how do you know that i guess i don't know i like you're you're my beneficiary i don't even have a spouse no, to give it to but you can just take care of that so you're my another one is a guy named milford cole and he received a telegram from Holmes when he was living in baltimore and it told him to come to chicago in 1894 i think he must have met Holmes at some point and Holmes was like hey come to Chicago and see me or work with me or something and so he left to go to Chicago after receiving the telegram and nobody ever saw him again and then they also found the bank book of a woman named Lucy Burbank in the building in 1895 they never found Lucy Burbank again after that so they thought maybe she was one of them okay nobody saw her again she might be dead yes some of the people that he didn't murder include, like I said, he confessed to 27 murders, but I think that he did this because Hearst newspa- newspapers offered him $7,500, so $7,500 in that time, so $250,000 today, that they offered him to tell his story. So he was like, yeah, cool, I'll swindle these guys. So he said he murdered 27 people and gave all these names. There was one woman named Kate Durkee, and he said that he killed her, but she was found alive. Uh, And a guy named Robert Leacock, who he said that he killed in college for insurance money, but there was a death record for him in Ontario in 1889. So he definitely didn't die in Michigan. If you're wondering what happened to the murder castle, like if you're like, where are they now? Um, Yes. Murder castle was set like a fire was set in the murder castle by an arsonist after Holmes was arrested so it wasn't this isn't the arson that Holmes was being charged with that's ironic so yeah I know really weird so it burned down probably because people didn't want because you know like back then how they would turn things into like museums or they'd let people tour yep yep those kinds of things I bet somebody in the neighborhood was just like I don't want this shit to happen so it got set on fire or maybe Holmes sent somebody to set it on fire or something because there was evidence in it. But whatever the case, burnt down. Um, it is now actually a post office in Englewood. Hmm. They use the same basement, but they rebuilt around it. Is I guess it haunted? That, uh, according to Zach Baggins, yes. I knew it. Yeah. They went there. And that's where like I vent- like heard about the murder hotel and stuff. And that was not true. But... He also had a one-story factory in Chicago that was, it was supposed to be like a glass-bending factory, but it's 
Like people think that it was probably just a place that he used to destroy incriminating evidence against him. I don't know. That still is there. Was also on that episode of Ghost Adventures. They went there. So So it must be true. Yeah. The last thing I want to cover here is a theory about H.H. Holmes possibly being another serial killer. Who was it? With a different identity. So Was it Jack the Ripper? Yes. All right. Was it really? So, mm-hmm. so because there's a descendant of Holmes. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the next murder case I'm going to do is also somebody that could have been Jeff the, Jack the Ripper. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. Cool. So I don't think that he is, but let's go over the theory. This is one of Holmes' descendants, like one of his direct descendants. He lives in Florida. I'm not sure where. But hmm. he believes that he was Jack the Ripper. And this is based on a handwriting comparison between the Dear Boss letter that Jack the Ripper supposedly wrote yep. and the letters written by Holmes. They were able to find that Holmes' life was really well documented because of all the bouncing around that he did in different places and papers that he signed and things that were put together in the trial. So his life was really well documented except for July of 1888 through the beginning of 1889. And Jack the Ripper had gone on his spree from August to November of 1888. So right in that time period, there is a ship's log in England that revealed a passenger named H. Holmes that was going from England to America right after his final victim was killed. Um, if you know anything about Jack the Ripper, he's highly suspected to have had medical training. There was like, like very quick, like dissections and organs removed in like really horrific very ways. Very quick. Very, very quick and very, precise. very, very quick. So probably had medical training. The killer was believed to have been five foot seven between 140 and 160 pounds and between 25 and 35 years old. And Holmes was five, seven, 147 pounds and was 27 at the time. Um, There's also artist renderings of Jack the Ripper from Witnesses, and they look very similar to Holmes. Like a big mustache. Yeah. Here's why I don't think it's him. Yeah. I don't think it's him because those crimes there were so, like, that was like a psychological satisfaction situation going on there. That was like, it was not a preservation. I know that, like, if you listen to it, I think that Morbid did a really, really thorough job of covering Jack the Ripper. They did. They really did. She did four episodes, right, where she really got into it. And it just seemed to me that my understanding was that that person was really familiar with the Whitechapel neighborhood as well mm-hmm. because they were able to, like, get in and out of it so quickly. It just – I don't think it matches here for those, like, for the, those reasons. But the main one is just that that psychological aspect of it where – it seemed to me that, like, this just didn't seem like Holmes' style. Like, there was huh. no, like, self-preservation involved in Jack the Ripper. There were two different kinds of people, I think. It's very interesting. It's just funny that we're both doing uh, people not on purpose that were blamed for the Jack the Ripper case. I think that's, like, I think that any murderer at that time is blamed for Jack the yeah. Ripper. Because we've covered it before, I think, in Black Dahlia, didn't we? Well, it's like anybody from that time period that spent any time near Whitechapel. Near Whitechapel that had murdered people. It just turns out a lot of people, a lot of murderers hung out near Whitechapel. Well, it was a gross place to go, I think, right? So, um. Yeah, I don't know. But this is my I know that there's so many more things you can get into with this particular case. So this is what I was able to come up with. I think that I learned like the the main thing that I learned from this was that he wasn't I mean, like, obviously, he was a piece of shit. Right. But he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't like a sadist. I don't think. Yeah, I think he was just your ordinary douchebag. Like, extraordinary, not ordinary douchebag, extraordinary. Extraordinary douchebag who is just trying to cover up his own crimes. Yeah. Total self-preservation here to, like, it all, it's a, it was about money. It wasn't about 
psychological issues. Right. He may have had a temper as well. <laughs> Just yeah. guessing. And maybe, maybe he liked little kids. We don't know. There was yeah. no evidence of that. If anything, I would guess that he had a propensity for uh, small children. Like, for hurting yeah. them. For sure. Because that's okay. fucked up. Yeah. I like, anybody that can kill a little kid, even if it's in a quick way, like, fuck you. Right? Fuck you so hard. Like, fuck you. Go somewhere. Go drop them off at an orphanage or something. Like, across the country. Because you're obviously traveling traveling all over the place. Yeah. That's sad. Sell them to somebody who wants children. I don't know. I think that's what people did back then. Like, find somebody that doesn't kill them. That's all. Yeah. Or give them back to their fucking mom because she was still alive. And right there. Like, there was no reason. Like, no reason. For all of this. Whatever. Okay. So, that's what I got. Thanks, guys, for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.